We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. No Pete today, uh, but we do have Darius Soriano. So still two Laker employees uh, with you today. And Darius, I'm in Phoenix. The team actually stayed after the game against the Suns last night. A tough loss despite another absurd performance from Anthony Davis squad is staying here tonight and then flying to San Antonio. Um, I'm actually going to drive. I got to drop the family back in LA tomorrow. And then I'm going to meet the team in San Antonio for a little back to back. But why don't we start in the game? And my primary takeaway Darius was that AD, like the big challenge and the big test was, can you play the same exact way as you played against the teams that were really small and shorthanded in the front court of Brooklyn and Detroit, and who am I missing? Sac- well, uh, Sacramento San was the game before that they lost. And then San Antonio sitting Pirtle. Yeah, Can they play that same way against a bigger team that's just better um, overall defensively? And, you know, after 37 points, 21 rebounds, five blocks, and five steals, I think the answer is yes, even though it took him a little bit to get going in terms of his aggression level against Aiton versus once Biombo checked in. But then you had the return of the shooting woes from the first couple of games of the season where it seemed like yes. nobody could hit a shot from the perimeter. Four for 22. That's why they lose the game. Of course, you also had the Beverly moment. But I still think ultimately, Darius, that it was encouraging that when Anthony Davis is playing like this, that the Lakers are going to be in pretty much every game, even against the good teams. Uh, he just need a, he needs a little bit more help in that case. So let's start with AD, that stat line that you mentioned, Mike, a historic like a a historic stat line. I saw the tweet from the NBA account basically saying that this is a stat line that has not been achieved since they started tracking steals and blocks in the 1973-74 seasons. And so the type of numbers that never get combined like this, and I think that's the special thing that AD can bring, right? Um, Pat Bev mentioned it some after the game, but AD's offense and his rebounding production on the glass is is getting all of the pub right but it's his defense that I think has really been keeping 
the Lakers in some of these games and, and allowing them to win too. He's just dominating on that side of the floor. And you could see the Suns players just sort of seeing ghosts in the paint a little bit because AD was always ever present. He was always lurking. And I thought the combination of his two-way play is what to me stands out even above all of the raw numbers, which are basically ridiculous numbers that he's putting up his his last four games. This sort, sort of run just doesn't really happen unless you're like a Wilt Chamberlain or a prime Shaq or like a prime Kareem. Right. And, and so I just want to make sure that we give credit to AD and give credit to the Lakers for hanging tough in in a tough road environment. The Suns always get up to play the Lakers and they were right there. And I think you're right. If it wasn't for some of the shooting woes, I, they had a good chance to win that game. Like they stuck around the entire thing and were even up in the second half. So what was the general vibe of the team post game? And, and if you want to bring some of the stuff with Pat Bev into this as well, then I think this is a good part for that too, just because I think that was a galvanizing moment too, for the team. Yeah. So these kind of things usually go as you would expect where I think that the way that Beverly handled it actually was was pretty good. Like once he got back there, not the moment on the court, but he owned up to it. Sure. And he said, look, it was unprofessional. It was unfortunate in that Aiden was not facing him. Right. It's that whole thing. We saw that Booker said, well, if you're going to push somebody, push him in the chest. And Beverly kind of just acknowledged. He's like, look, I, I get it. But I'm always going to err on the side of protecting a teammate and encouraging that vibe. And even if it's at the expense of myself in terms of whether it's a fine that comes or a suspension, we'll see what the league chooses to do. Beverly said he was kind of, you know, embracing or he was going to accept whatever the league decided because he understands what kind of play it was. And, and I think that's one of the things that he's he's probably had some of these conversations before um, with the disciplinary committee. And one thing that they do appreciate, I think, is some uh, acknowledgement of what it was. Yep. Right. No and contrition. Then, real con- contrition. Like he showed some real contrition there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it also wasn't like it wasn't that bad in terms of like the, the Chris Paul one or even even thinking like Morris and Jokic, like that type of thing, when the guy could really get injured. And then Jokic actually ended up um, didn't. Or, I'm sorry, Jokic push pushing Morris. Right. And then Morris actually missing some games like with the force that he went out with that uh, that happened last year. So it wasn't that big of a deal to me in that context. And you did get a lot of that. Like Austin Reeves said, he appreciated it. This guy's got my back. You know, Darvin says, Hey, look, you want to have it be within the rules, but I'm not mad at him. So all that stuff to me was fine. And honestly, I don't think it had that big of an impact on the game. Ironically, it probably ends up helping the Lakers because they get, they review the play. A flagrant foul is called on Booker, which gives Austin Reeves two free throws. And then Beverly got tossed with like the one tech but Aiton got a tech, and so they canceled out. So the Suns had to be like, hold on, like all, all this happens, and the and then the Lakers scored on the ensuing possession. So they end up getting a four-point play. Four-point possession. They were down by 10 once that sequence occurs. They end up with, okay, it's only a six-point deficit. Um, I think there were three minutes and 42 seconds after um, the basket went in. I think AD got a dunk um, to make it a four-point possession. And so Lakers are down six, but this is where I think the lack of shooting and the and the inability to hit an outside shot was really the difference in the game. So this is one thing I wanted to just sort of bounce ideas back and forth with you on is 
do you think the team comes out of a game like that um, encouraged by their level of play and with how AD is rolling and and the fact that that they hung tough? Or do you think that some doubt starts to creep in a little bit with the shooting and AD looked at the stat sheet after the game. And I think it might've been your question that that prompted him to look down at it about specifically with the shooting. And he mentioned, well, yeah, you know, we haven't shot like this since early in the season. And even that phrasing, right. It's, it's sort of brings back those memories of all of those missed shots. So, what do you think the overall tenor and vibe of the team is coming out of that game that they're ready to bounce back and 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 get it rolling again? There's prospects that LeBron is going to return soon. And so there could be some optimism or do you think that that sort of takes them a step back and that there's a little bit of shock with the like, oh, back to that again? No, I think the overall tenor is still positive relative to where things were at the low point, right at the two and 10 point and winning a couple games previously is one part of it. Another one is that, you know, that even though Phoenix is missing some real key pieces, they still have some of their best players. Like Bridges was terrific in that game. He was five for seven from three. Um, Aiton, I thought was quiet for a lot of the game, but he still ends up with 14 and 15 and had his presence in the paint. Uh, They got some excellent energy and, and effort off the bench from Washington and Lee like those guys, uh, you know, combined for 24 points. And, and so like they played well enough to win considering what Anthony Davis was doing uh, from a dominating standpoint. And then even, you know, even Westbrook who was eight for 20. So he's almost always going to be below 50%, but he did have 21 um, off the bench. He had five assists. Of course he had some turnovers as usual, but like this was a, this was a situation where the Lakers are going to be getting LeBron James back. We don't know for sure that it's next game. There was some reporting on that. I, I heard I, I was, yeah. of course, at the game, so I didn't watch the TNT broadcast, but apparently Haynes said that he expected LeBron to play on Friday. Sources close to LeBron yeah. um, have indicated that LeBron is going to play on Friday. We will see, of course, like with a strain growing, I feel like it could be sore that day and suddenly it's just like, eh, well, you know, the best laid plans, right? But... Haynes was pretty firm. Okay, so whether or not LeBron returns, I think we're we're back into that situation of this is where the Lakers have some depth in more than last year, but some of it is repetitive. And if you don't get the type of effort, whether it's shooting or just overall impact from a starter like Troy Brown Jr., then you need it from one of the subs that comes in, even if it's a smaller one, in this case, like a Dennis Schroeder. But then Schroeder was sort of replacing Beverly, And the three of them together, right, didn't score. And that's just untenable in an NBA game. You can't have more than maybe one guy that's just completely out of rhythm in that case and not have it catch up to you. And then Austin Reeves ends up playing 36 minutes somehow, but was in foul trouble with five because he was guarding Booker early and Beverly wasn't on him. So I think like the upside is AD's playing a certain way. LeBron's going to be coming back. Walker has been relatively consistent. Reeves has been relatively consistent. Thomas Bryant's been a real bright spot in the minutes that he's coming yeah. in. Gabriel, in this case, he was 0 for 3 in this game, but still had a couple of moments. He only ended up playing seven minutes. And it's like they they need at least that one more guy. Well, okay, LeBron's coming back. So that sort of solves a couple of those issues. All at one, He almost counts yeah. for two people. But you're still not quite solidified 
as Schroeder looks to get his rhythm and is figuring out when to have the ball. And if he's playing with Russ, then how often can he really have the ball? And he's not really an off ball player. So those questions remain Darius. So it's like both things. It's better than it was, but they still have some things that clearly need to be ironed out. Well, this is where too the, the idea that we've brought up a bunch about the preseason and not necessarily getting the reps and all of the togetherness that you would want to have with a bunch of guys who do commandeer the ball some. And, and so, yeah, you're getting LeBron back, but um, you mentioned guys who have been playing relatively consistent. Russ has been one of those guys too, right? And so I think that he's been useful as just – a driver of offense for the second units. He's he's really been finding guys and setting guys up and and he's been scoring well in certain games like and when even when he's not score scoring well, he's assisting well, right? And so there is a there is a certain amount of baked in production that he's providing that is useful over the context of of a 48 minute game. But you add Dennis to that mix, and then now you're going to bring LeBron back, and that's three high-usage guys who like to have the ball in their hands. And you've got AD that is just like, well, I'm the dude who is putting up historic numbers, right? Like, he needs the ball too. And so the good thing about AD is he can get his production as an off-ball player, as a finisher as well. And he doesn't always need post-touch, post-touch, post-touch in order to get his well, well, his points. But working out that balance between, I think, LeBron, Dennis, and Russ is going to be something that's still going to need a little bit of time. And Dennis is still seeking out some rhythm. Man, I do want to just emphasize again this stretch that AD's on and all of the preseason and, and going back to last year, basically post-bubble expectation of where Davis could get to. And in terms of the production, this is certainly it. But I wanted to ask you, Darvin Ham, the system, the center, like the drop coverage, having AD around the rim versus how the Lakers dominated before, which was often AD not necessarily just being around the rim, but just wreaking havoc on the perimeter and then kind of covering the perimeter and dropping back in. Uh, and I'm sure people want to weigh in on this too, but just from the coach Darius perspective, how have you seen that play out in terms of where he's dominating, how he's getting touches, how he's getting all these deflections and how much of that has to do in part with what the system is that they're running? So I think this is a great question, Mike, particularly around the system stuff. I also think that, you then need to bring into the idea like what his teammates are and what his teammates are able to do defensively as well. And so AD played a lot of center last season as well too, right? But his production wasn't nearly at this level because he wasn't, especially defensively and on the backboards, because he ended up not being around the basket as much. Now, Vogel's system would have AD playing up higher at the point of attack, but what was also happening was the guards and the perimeter players the Lakers had last season were not as good at getting over the top of screens and they were not as good at staying connected to their own players. And so that led to a lot of like late clock switches for Anthony Davis or where he ended up on the perimeter isolated against a, against a guard. And we saw this a bunch last season where he's the one contesting the shot 
and not being able to recover back to the backboards. And that's why the Lakers were a pretty poor defensive rebounding team as well, even with Anthony Davis on the court. And so I think it's a combination of factors. The scheme is putting an AD in more traditional drop coverages where he is able to sort of hang back a little bit more, but those coverages don't always work as well, particularly against a pull-up shooting um, team like the Suns, if the guards aren't able to get over the top. And that's where I thought Austin Reeves was great last night against Booker, even though he he drew a couple of fouls. He also drew a couple of offensive fouls, right? Like where he's getting over the tops of screens and then the guy with the ball is like, well, no, get off me. And he's shoving Austin off, right? Like campaign drew a couple of fouls like that. Um, Pat Bev was very good at getting over the top, top of screens. And so it's that, it's that partnership between the perimeter player and the big. And I think... AD is receiving some help from his teammates in order to position himself around the basket where he can be more of a threat, blocking shots, getting deflections, and cleaning up every defensive rebound, it seems like, man. Every time that he's in there, he is just swooping in and controlling the glass. And so this is a bookmark this, though, because I do want to bring this back to Pete a little bit to see if he's seen similar things. But that's sort of where my take is with that. All right, let's go to break. And when we get back, We'll preview the third or the second and third games against the Spurs uh, out of the last four as the Lakers head to San Antonio for Thanksgiving. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so... As we preview the San Antonio Spurs, Darius, I want to do it in the context of the Lakers rotation. And first of all, expecting that Jakob Pertl is going to come back. And so that would at least that would bring something, I think, similar from what we saw against Phoenix in how the way that AD approached things with Pertl versus whoever they put in behind him, where he kind of bided his time um, to an extent with when Aiton was in in with the starting groups and let other guys attack. And then he just immediately started attacking the secondary big. And I would still love to see him attack the primary big a little bit more. But again, I'm not going to complain when he ends up with 37 on 17 shots and gets to the free throw line 16 times and makes 15 of them. By the way, 83% now from the free throw line last year was 71. 
Yeah, AD, that the free throw shooting is just another, it's the cherry on the Sunday to me, Mike, when he's knocking down his free throws and the jump shot was falling last game too. He really does seem to be finding his rhythm and he spoke about that post game. So do you want to start with the AD portal matchup well, or where are you at with the rest of the rotation? No, 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 yeah, so I, I wanted to introduce that. Uh, thanks for, for hashing that out too with AD. I wanted to introduce it in, in the sense of like, all right. Let's just presume for lineup's sake that LeBron comes back, and whether it's this game or the next game or whatever, just for, just for argument's sake. LeBron comes back, and that means that one of the, the quote-unquote wings, uh, whether it's you know, Troy Brown Jr. or in a way like Reeves is almost playing like a wing even though he's a guard, but one of those guys is going to go to the bench, which doesn't necessarily make the bench group that much bigger because it's still like the bench group – against Phoenix, and this has been the rotation Darvin's used, right? It's, it's Westbrook and Unschroeder, three guards, of course, and then Bryant and Gabriel. And with LeBron coming back, and you can kind of, you can play LeBron as a big in some senses, and he could limit the minutes for Gabriel or Bryant. Um, I, if It seems between the two that he's been veering a little bit more towards Bryant, but I'm still in that, if you don't have the, the wings, then just play another big, even if it's at the expense of spacing, um, at times, and then maybe none is the guy that drops out. And even in that case, you're not necessarily that much bigger on the wing. So we're kind of back, like now, Darius, that we've seen all of the guys that are available, and especially considering that it seems like Schroeder is going to get the benefit of the doubt and get the minutes over some other guys. Even with LeBron coming back, you're not necessarily that much bigger, even though you are in spots with him if we're taking none out of the rotation. So that's how I, I want to put it to you starting with the Spurs matchup, but how do you see the rotation playing out and how do you see them finding a way to, to still make up for the fact that they don't have that, that additional two way wing that would be ideal for a lot of these lineups? Yeah, it's, it's really hard for me to say on this one because I still don't necessarily have a great feel for Darwin on what sort of decision he's going to make just because of the fact that we haven't yet seen this full team and what he's going to value here, right? So a part of me feels like none only really started to get back into the rotation once Max Christie went down. And, and so that's something we haven't really talked a lot about, but Christie was yeah, getting Christie's real rotation with minutes. Health and safety protocols. Yeah. And so he went out and he is sort of that bigger quote unquote two-way wing, right? Like he's he's not huge or anything. What Christie's what six six and maybe 190 pounds. He's six six. He's gained. I feel like he's gained every time I see him. He put on another couple pounds of muscle. So I don't know what his weight sure. is, but it's more than what it was at the beginning of the season. Definitely. It's so this is where I probably would put LeBron in for none and I would stay bigger. Like that's what I would do personally, because I think that those small well, groups here, um, can definitely. So that, so for that, for sure. But then I guess the next question, though, is then, OK, then you then put have more Christie or even like, let's say JTA gets healthier, or starts playing well. But either one of those two and and then you are having to basically pick between, I guess, Beverly and Schroeder. Right. Assuming that or or Troy Brown, uh, in a sense, if he continues to struggle. So I'm like a bigger one of those slightly bigger wings and one fewer guard. Yeah. And so. Let's look at the starting lineup. This is where I'm actually interested to see what happens with Beverly and whether or not, like, does the league take action after his ejection? Because at least for one game, it could be a situation where LeBron replaces Beverly. 
right? And then you start um, Troy and Austin and Lonnie with LeBron and AD. And that probably is the lineup that I think a lot of fans, like outsiders are just like, that's probably the group based off of how everyone has been playing. But then I'm interested, Mike, in what those lineups look like when, if Russ is going to be a bench player and Dennis is going to be a bench player, those are your two secondary, quote unquote, primary ball handlers who are now both going to share duties on bench units. And that's where I'm very interested to see how those lineups work and who takes control of of those possessions. And then what gets even trickier is that if you play bigger in those groups and you replace none with LeBron in those groups, then it's Dennis, Russ, and LeBron, right? Next to Wenyon and Thomas Bryant. Like, there's a lot of just questions that I have, even with that sort of proposed lineup, because that's a lot of ball handling. And LeBron is then naturally a wing in those situations. So you're probably going to want him to have the ball more. So he's doing less screening, less, less big man stuff. And, and so I just have questions here. Like, how do you see that puzzle shaking itself out? Because it is something that Darwin hasn't had to deal with yet because all of these guys haven't been available at the same time. Yeah. And this is, I think the first part where it becomes really difficult because either Westbrook, Beverly or Schroeder to me has to play significantly less in order for the team to be optimized lineup wise and rotation wise and just size wise. And all three of those guys are sort of, I want to be on the basketball court. That's what I'm here for. And yeah, very strong personalities, all three, right? These are three of the, the biggest chip on the shoulder guys in the whole NBA. And I'm not saying that it has to be that way. I'm I'm just looking at it. What is it? What is it from a lineup optimization standpoint? But and this is why I brought Troy Brown's name into this because I thought Brown was really good for the first couple of weeks, especially, and he's tapered off some um, in these last couple. And and you know it could be it could be just the level that he's playing at is higher uh, in the minutes or a little higher than it was last year. And maybe even if it, even though it's early season, it doesn't mean there isn't a stretch where somebody, um, you know, could be a little bit <clears throat> fatigued and whether it's a combination of physical or mental. So whatever it is, I think that he'll have better stretches, but right now, you know, he kind of is the, because it's not going to be Lonnie Walker to me, and it's not going to be Austin Reeves. Those are the guys that have shown, I think themselves clearly to be deserving of the minutes that they're playing. And that's where I think Darvin has to, has to do some of that chess uh, within the roster. But the larger point to me, it, it starts with these two games against the Spurs. And it goes back to all this stuff. Is, it's important, but it's not as important as AD playing at this level. Like that is the thing. Yeah. That is the North Star right now. That is the thing that has carried the Lakers, I think, in terms of just overall confidence in the way that they're approaching these games. So that what AD does now in these two games against San Antonio who is a team that frankly is one of the least talented teams right now. And part of that intentionally. So it's not like in the off season, they signed some, some vets. Like, do you know who their highest paid player is? Is it, um, is it Doug McDermott? It's Doug McDermott at about 13 <laughs> mil or something. Yeah, He like makes that. what Pat Bev makes. 
He makes and he doesn't start. Makes, basically. And he doesn't start, you know. Yep. Next year, like when Keldon Johnson's extension kicks in, I guess that that will be him. But, you know, so that's that just tells you something if your highest paid player is Doug McDermott. So this is a team that even though it's, it's difficult to beat any team three times in a row, I don't care who it is, just yes. based on human nature and relaxation. But the thing that I think now that we're as we're taking for granted what a, the way that AD is playing, uh, I think that that's that's an important thing that that the Lakers should be doing. Like, yes, AD, not that you have to have 38 and 20 every game, but just this approach, I think, uh, which which is very fruitful. But the question is, now that the Lakers have gone are back on the road and back out of the comforts of Crypto.com Arena, where it seemed like the role players started to finally find a rhythm from three, like that to me, I did think had some factor in the four for 22. It wasn't just bad shooting luck. You know, there was a there were guys that were just a, looked a little bit less comfortable out there taking shots, certainly relative to the way that Phoenix was firing them up. And that to me is is part of what what hopefully does and certainly needs to get better um, in these two games against the Spurs. Like the guys are going to have to settle in and, and knock down some shots. Well, this is where I think you're pointing out what's going on with with Brown is super important because Brown is one of those swing swing players and we talked about him the other day on the pod as like when you're not saying his name a lot when you're not saying a role player's name a lot that can often mean good things it's because they're just sort of doing their job and plugging along and not making mistakes and and not taking things off off of the table but in the game against the suns the types of shots that Brown was getting and the types of shots that Brown was missing, those were, those are the shots that he should be taking and making at a higher degree than what he has of late. Well, Darius, so he, the last 10 games, the last five, he hasn't hit double figures once. The previous five before that was in double figures in every one. And he hit at least two threes in four of those five. And that's part of it. Now, the three-point attempts, though, at the same time, have gone from six, five, five, six to two, 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 three. And that's part of it right there, too. His shot attempts have just gone down. The minutes have been down a little. And I, I think that part of that in the last three is Shooter um, coming back and getting some more of those bench minutes. And But you, you wouldn't have thought that the minutes would necessarily decrease with LeBron out versus when they were up with LeBron in. However, LeBron is one of those guys that creates those wide open type corner threes that Brown was hitting more. And those have not been as available like the the types of threes maybe um, that that have been available have not been quite the same quality as the, the ones that LeBron creates, even if some have resulted from the Davis double. So it's complicated. But I, I want to just enter that into the equation that maybe Brown is one of those guys that is that is a little bit better off paired um, next to LeBron than than he is paired in what the current lineups have been. No, it's a great point because LeBron and AD, even though they can operate from the same spots on the floor, they attack defenses differently and the passing reads and the passes that they make are totally different. LeBron is a guy who makes that skip pass very easily and AD doesn't often make that skip skip pass a lot of times the the possessions that lead to wide open threes when ad is a part of the action are typically like dive out of a pick and roll kick out swing swing rather than lebron where it's back down back down back down defense starts starts to collapse and then he's throwing over over the top and when he's throwing over the top it is often brown 
who is the guy who is in weak side corner corner who is taking that 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 spot spot up three and some of the some of the threes that brown missed against the suns were above the break right off of like direct kickouts or pass out and then first swing right and that second swing's not there and so brown is like okay well i'm open i'm i'm taking this shot and even though he was open and his shooting did seem a little bit rushed against the Suns. And so I'm hoping that there will be a little bit more synergy with him and some of these LeBron-led groups. Um, I wanted to kick it back to you, though, to dive in just really quickly against the Spurs. One last thing that, that I had sort, sort, sort of this, this idea around. And do you think with LeBron coming back and a team like the Spurs who hasn't been playing the best basketball in the league that Darwin might use some of these minutes as time to experiment a little bit more and see and test out different lineup types rather than just sort of take the stance that we were taking earlier in the pod with, oh, well, LeBron is back. He can plug in for none and do this or or this is how, like, sort of these one-for-one one rep- well, replacements where this guy was just serving as a placeholder, but actually now I've got basically my full team back, except for Christie, and now's the time to start to deploy some of the ideas that maybe he had had to put on the shelf because there was always two or three guys out at the same same time that wouldn't allow him to, to do this, and, and how much an opponent like the Spurs offers that runway for for him to potentially try some things. Yeah. The most important thing, of course, for the Lakers at, at this point of their season with their record where it is right now at 5-11, and 11, like they have to win these games and there can't be that much experimentation. But with that said, it's not necessarily just straight experimentation because you're not pulling a guy that is that much better than somebody else. And giving him a ton of minutes like these guys to me are all the Laker role players are all pretty comparable. Um, I think in terms of what their overall impact can be on a basketball game. But the one that I'm most most interested in is the one that you brought up earlier is that if they get Christie back and JTA has still been dealing with this sore back. So I'm not sure if he's going to be ready, but even just the, the thought of Christie back in and then shifting that second unit a little bit more defensive as opposed to with the more spacing, which he tried at times with Matt Ryan. Like that that seemed to be where Darvin is going. So when you were saying, I'm not sure if I understand exactly what Darvin is thinking in terms of these rotations, I'm thinking that it's a little bit closer to Frank Vogel, for example, who's going to lean towards defense. But his it's going to look a lot different because of the system and the way that they're running things. But he does seem to be veering in that direction. Like if, if he had to pick early this season, that's the way that the, we're going to win games and Darwin's words, right? Is So the way that they do that is by, is, is that it's by playing Max Christie more and playing some of those veteran smaller guards, whether it's Beverly or, although of course Beverly has his, his moments, certainly at defense, especially in the right matchup um, or Russ or Schroeder who can have moments, but is small and has to size down. So that would be the shift that I would think would come against a Spurs team, Darius, that isn't necessarily one where, okay, the Clippers have, if they're healthy, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, how are you going to match up with those guys? You know, it's more of a, okay, well, Keldon Johnson and Devin Vassell, like they can score and they're bigger, but they're, they're not guys that you're necessarily thinking you have to shift your, your whole defense towards. 
No, the Spurs are not a super high, like, this is the game game plan, we have to shut this dude down team. They are a ball movement team. They're a team that is a high assist team. They rely on system as much as anything else in order for them to score their score their points, right? Um, and so I am interested in seeing how this all comes together. Coach Ham is going to have um, more options on the table than he's had at any point this season once LeBron is back and as, and then once Christie comes back as well. And so that is the full team. There has not been a single game this season, Mike, where all 15 players who are who are on the active roster and not counting the two way guys where all 15 players have been available in to play at any given time. And there's potential that in one of these Spurs Spurs games, we will see that exact thing happen happen and at that point that's where i think we will start to get a better sense of the things that coach ham values and who he who he has slotted because the lineups will tell us that and the minutes distribution will will tell us that and i think it will tell us that independent even of what the opponent is because we're still at the stage of the season where the lakers are mostly making choices based off of what is they think their strengths are rather than what they think the strengths of the opponent are. All right, Derek. So as we wrap this up, did you want to hit a couple of Thanksgiving points uh, as before we uh, I embark upon the trek home and then join the team sure. for Thanksgiving action? Yeah, no. So it is a good time to say that we will not have a pod tomorrow. So happy Thanksgiving to everyone who is listening. And just I just wanted to say, Mike, that it's been great to be now officially a part of the Lakers team. And I hope I've been living up to whatever idea was when it was like, hey, let's bring Darius on to to do some writing. So I'm super thankful for the opportunity to write at Lakers.com. I'm super thankful for all the outside of the Lakers stuff too. Just like my family, my wife, my kids, and and everything that's that's going on in 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 our personal lives. And then I'm also thankful for you and Pete, our group chats with which keep us sane, I think, on certain nights where we we do get to express some more lively opinions that that don't necessarily always see the public sphere. So I'm thankful for all of those things. But how about you? You're the one who is going to be on the road for for Thanksgiving. So so I know that there's probably a certain part of you that is thankful for all your opportunities, but also wistful of some things that doesn't always get to be the way that is maybe ideal. No, I'm just I'm thankful for Jonathan Goldfarb. I mean, to be honest, just to have to have that (laughs) thought all the time about Pete, young Pete going against Goldfarb. Um, no, I mean, I, in terms of just since we're on the pod, right, I'll keep it local. I'll keep my thank yous and my Thanksgiving stuff localized here for a second. But I'm around the team, of course, a lot and have been since 2008. But it's it's great for me to get to step out of it a little bit, even though, again, now both you and Pete are also working for the Lakers. But in terms of just watching the team, the perspectives that you guys bring and have always brought, I think make me better at my job. Uh, and and then I get to, you know, I get to use that info and in, in hashing out all of the thoughts that we have about this team uh, on the broadcast, which, which I feel like then in turn, you know, hopefully is a better explains what's going on with the team in a, in a way. And it, it all kind of comes full circle because the whole point of all of this is to 
to entertain and service the fans um, of the Lakers and of the NBA. But that's why this whole thing works. That's why, you know, we're able to travel with the team and have this whole enterprise around the NBA. It's, it's because of the people that support it. And so I'm just thankful that I get to go to Laker games and go to the game in Phoenix and uh, bring my family in this case and at the service of Laker fans who care, right, about what happens uh, on the court and with their favorite players and so on. So that's something that, that, that always stands out to me. And one last point, Mike, when you were talking about supporting like the team and all the people that go into making it happen, I just want to say super thankful for Jeannie, our faithful producer who keeps us all on point and she is the motor that makes this thing go behind the scenes. And so I'm super thankful for her. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. We will probably be back on Friday. And if not on Friday, then after the Spurs games where we'll then keep it all up. And so you'll get it all on next time on the Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one. Miss it. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.